Chapter Two of the Jeffersonians, eighteen o one to eighteen twenty nine, by Richard B. Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Burr kills Hamilton. David Hossack describes Hamilton's last hours. The feud between Hamilton and Burr preceded the election of eighteen hundred, in which Hamilton opposed Burr's election to the presidency the rivalry between these two new yorkers actually had begun during the revolution and had continued throughout their political careers but it reached a special intensity in eighteen hundred as vice-president under jefferson burr had reached the peak of his career but jefferson realizing that burr almost had schemed his way into the presidency undermined his influence in the republican party in eighteen o four hamilton again thwarted burr's ambitions by helping to defeat him for governor of new york the duel soon followed hamilton had no intention of firing at burr and seems to have expected to die for he made his will and arranged his affairs before crossing the hudson river to new jersey for the fatal duel on july eleventh eighteen o four burr had great charm and undenied ability but it might have been better for him if he had died that day instead of hamilton he was an unscrupulous intriguer and his subsequent career tarnished his reputation in eighteen o five he tried to establish a political empire in the mississippi valley but he was captured and tried for treason though he was acquitted he had to spend the next four years in exile he later returned to an obscure law practice in new york david hossack describes hamilton's last hours in the selection that follows david hossack the physician who attended hamilton at the duel describes the scene immediately after burr fired the fatal shot he writes to william coleman editor of the new york post the paper hamilton had founded to comply with your request is a painful task but i will repress my feelings while i endeavor to furnish you with an enumeration of such particulars relative to the melancholy end of our beloved friend hamilton as dwell most forcibly on my recollection when called to him upon his receiving the fatal wound i found him half sitting on the ground supported in the arms of mr pendleton his countenance of death i shall never forget he had at that instant just strength to say this is a mortal wound doctor when he sunk away and became to all appearance lifeless i immediately stripped up his clothes and soon alas ascertained that the direction of the ball must have been through some vital part his pulses were not to be felt his respiration was entirely suspended and upon laying my hand on his heart and perceiving no motion there i considered him as irrecoverably gone i however observed to mr pendleton that the only chance for his reviving was immediately to get him upon the water we therefore lifted him up and carried him out of the wood to the margin of the bank where the bargemen aided us in conveying him into the boat which immediately put off during all this time i could not discover the least symptom of returning life i now rubbed his face lips and temples with spirits of hartshorn applied it to his neck and breast and to the wrists and palms of his hands and endeavoured to pour some into his mouth when we had got as i should judge about fifty yards from the shore some imperfect efforts to breathe were for the first time manifest 
in a few minutes he sighed and became sensible to the impression of the hartshorn or the fresh air of the water he breathed his eyes hardly opened wandered without fixing upon any objects to our great joy he at length spoke my vision is indistinct were his first words his pulse became more perceptible his respiration more regular his sight returned soon after recovering his sight he happened to cast his eye upon the case of pistols and observing the one there that he had had in his hand lying on the outside he said take care of that pistol it is undischarged and still cocked it may go off and do harm pendleton knows attempting to turn his head towards him that i did not intend to fire at him yes said mr pendleton understanding his wish i have already made dr hossack acquainted with your determination as to that perceiving that we approached the shore he said let mrs hamilton be immediately sent for let the event be gradually broken to her but give her hopes looking up we saw his friend mr bayard standing on the wharf in great agitation he had been told by his servant that general hamilton mr pendleton and myself had crossed the river in a boat together and too well he conjectured the fatal errand and foreboded the dreadful result perceiving as we came nearer that mr pendleton and myself only sat up in the stern-sheets he clasped his hands together in the most violent apprehension but when i called to him to have a cot prepared and he at the same moment saw his poor friend lying in the bottom of the boat he threw up his eyes and burst into a flood of tears and lamentation hamilton alone appeared tranquil and composed we then conveyed him as tenderly as possible up to the house the distresses of this amiable family were such that till the first shock was abated they were scarcely able to summon fortitude enough to yield sufficient assistance to their dying friend during the night he had some imperfect sleep but the succeeding morning his symptoms were aggravated attended however with a diminution of pain his mind retained all its usual strength and composure the great source of his anxiety seemed to be in his sympathy with his half-distracted wife and children he spoke to her frequently of them my beloved wife and children were always his expressions but his fortitude triumphed over his situation dreadful as it was once indeed at the sight of his children brought to the bedside together seven in number his utterance forsook him he opened his eyes gave them one look and closed them again till they were taken away as a proof of his extraordinary composure of mind let me add that he alone could calm the frantic grief of their mother remember my eliza you are a christian were the expressions with which he frequently with a firm voice but in a pathetic and impressive manner addressed her his words and the tone in which they were uttered will never be effaced from my memory at about two o'clock as the public well knows he expired end of chapter two